Please do sit down. Warm welcome once again. And we're going to be uh, looking at Paul's letters to the Colossians in our evening services over the next couple of months. So thank you, MJ, for reading that. And that's on page 1182. If you grab the Bible from under your chair and turn to page 1182. So this fantastic letter, we're calling it Stick With Jesus. Just three words, sums up the message. If you want to just remember the message of Colossians, Stick With Jesus. But let's have a bit of a closer look at these opening verses, verses 1 to 14. Let me pray now. Father God, we pray indeed that you would open our eyes as we look at your word and please by your holy spirit help us to see what this means for us in our lives today so that we can trust jesus and follow him we pray in jesus name amen well how secure are you feeling this evening um, advertisers are working on the premise that you have various unexpressed insecurities and needs that they need to coax into the open and then meet with their product. Um, one advertising executive said that the point of advertising is to make feel, people feel nervous about the things that they don't have. Uh, but probably nowhere is that more obvious than with technology. So that the one thing and probably the only thing that can make the latest iPhone look less attractive is when they bring out the next one. Isn't it? So we're on, I think we're on the iPhone 14, if I'm correct at the moment, and presumably in however many years' time there will be an iPhone 34 that will make the, the users of the iPhone 33 feel terribly inferior. And whatever it is, ownership of technology goes through several distinct phases. There's the kind of discovery phase, uh, you know, that's amazing, I must have this at all costs. There's the buying phase where you make some great sacrifice in order to be able to afford it. There is the initial ownership phase, where, you know, for a few uh, weeks or days or hours, you think, this is the best thing ever. And then there's the dissatisfaction phase, where this once perfect supreme piece of technology is no longer what you want or need, and you wait to discover the next best thing ever so that you can do it all again. The thing is, that sense of insecurity and, and wanting more can be exactly the same when it comes to following Jesus. If you're a Christian, wouldn't you love to have a deeper and more profound experience of God and what it means to know him and follow him? Do you feel satisfied with the way things are in your Christian life, your, your, your love for God, your love for others, your ability to fight sin, to choose what is good, to hate what is evil, your grasp of forgiveness, your desire to live wholeheartedly for God and not for yourself. I, I doubt any of us would say that we're satisfied and happy with any of those things in our lives. But what if someone comes along and says... I have the one thing that you've been missing all this time. I have the key to real life. I have the thing that meets those spiritual needs and deficiencies that you feel. Here's a new way of doing church. 
Here's a new way to pray. Here's a book that gives you all the answers. Here's a way of singing and worshipping that will draw you closer to God. Here's a leader that's just got something special that no one else has. Here is what you have been missing all this time. And if you just do this, you will find freedom and fullness of joy and ecstasy in the Christian life that you've been missing all this time. It will be so easy to live as a Christian because everything inside you will want you to do that. If someone came to you and promised something along those lines, how would you respond? Perhaps like the advertising executive hoped, you might at least start to feel nervous about the things that you don't have. And more than that, you might start to buy into the spiritual products on offer. And that was the situation faced by the Colossian Christians, these people that Paul and Timothy, uh, if you look at verse 1, Paul and Timothy writing to the Colossians, they're writing to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Verse 2, Colossae was a a city in what is now Turkey, uh, about 120 miles from Ephesus, and and, uh, in in Acts chapter 19, um, in the New Testament, you can hear about how Paul preached the word in the lecture hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus for two years, and Luke there comments that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And we presume, though, we can't be absolutely sure that it was then that the, 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 the church in Colossae was founded. And when Paul writes this letter, it seems he's never met them, but he is concerned for them. He loves them and he prays for them. As we go through the letter in the coming weeks, uh, we'll see that he is concerned that they're going to be led astray. Things haven't reached total crisis point like they did when Paul wrote to the Galatians, for example. His tone is a bit calmer than that. But he's very clear that when it comes to the Christian faith and the gospel, you don't constantly need to be worried about getting an upgrade. When it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to following Jesus, you don't need to keep worrying, do I need a new model? Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 are a great summary of the letter. Um, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Carry on as you began. Stick with Jesus. Do you see? The faith you already have, the gospel you've already heard, the Christian life you're already living, all these things are already meeting your deepest needs. They don't need tweaking. They don't need upgrading. They don't need replacing with a better model. So let's see how Paul begins to unwrap that idea in uh, verses 3 to 14 in chapter 1. So you can see on the, I don't know, is it the front or the back of the notice sheet? It's it's one of the two, isn't it? But um, there it is, on on the front or the back. Three headings. Here's the first one. Stick with the faith you already have. Stick with the faith you already have. So, uh, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So, he, he tells them that he thanks God for them. And why does he thank God for these Christians? Because he's saying, you really are Christians. 
And the evidence of that is their faith in Christ and their love for one another, which spring from the hope that they have. So in other words, if someone comes along and starts to say, you know what, you're not really a proper Christian. You're missing out. You need this, spirit, this particular spiritual experience or you need that special thing that you're not doing. Paul says, no, no. The evidence that you are a Christian is very simple. It's faith and love springing from hope. And it's interesting to see which way round these things go in Paul's mind. So it's not that the Colossians do some believing in Jesus and some loving of others, and on that basis they're able to have hope of eternal life. It's actually the other way round. They have hope for the future, and where is it? It's in heaven stored up for them. In, in other words, it's safe. No one can get at it, and no one can take it away. And on that basis of what they've been given, they put their faith in Christ and they love one another. Now, what is hope, this hope that, that, that he talks about? It's a funny word in English, isn't it? Because if I say, you know, I hope that one day I will win the lottery, for example, well, everyone knows that that's incredibly unlikely. And yet, for some people, it remains a hope. It remains a desire. And they keep, you know, paying the money week by week or whatever it is. But Christian hope is different. It is certain. It is secure. It's like knowing for certain that you will win the lottery. Knowing that. Not just thinking, well, maybe it will happen. Knowing that it will be the case. And so he says it's shut away in heaven where no one can get to it. Now, can you see the difference between saying, on the one hand, Christian hope depends on your love and faith, and your love and faith depend on the hope you already have? You see that? Can you see those two things are totally the opposite of each other? See, so often we think that our standing before God depends on whether we have enough faith or enough love. And because actually, you know, our faith and our, our love for others, that goes up and down in our lives, and it isn't always as good as it could be, uh, we, we sort of feel like our standing with God and how much he accepts us goes up and down with that. And it's in those circumstances, maybe, that we might be tempted to listen to the voices that say, you haven't done enough. There's something you're missing. Do this and you will have real hope. But that isn't real Christianity. Real Christianity starts with the gift of God to us of certain hope. So here's the question then, where does hope feature in your life. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're still thinking these things through, well, maybe this is a new thought, a thought worth pondering some more. What, what difference would it make if you were certain you were forgiven, certain that death was not the end? See, if you're not yet doing that, well, you, you, you can't know that, uh, you can't stick with the faith that you already have because you don't have that faith yet. But the place to start is looking at the hope that you're offered in Christ and thinking, is that something I can put my faith in? And if it is, do that and begin the Christian life. And yet if you are already doing that, many Christians still try to live without reference to that future hope. So hope becomes the icing on the cake. But frankly, we're more interested in what our lives are like now. That's really what we're excited about. And we start to measure the success of Christian faith simply on whether it helps us here and now and so we, we sort of say you know I prayed for my friends um, and, and the prayer wasn't answered I became a Christian but I still struggle 
with depression or I still struggle with hard times. Living openly as a Christian with my friends at school or at work is still tough. I'm finding life is really hard. Does that mean then that I'm not, I'm not really a Christian? Does that mean that Christianity doesn't work? Does that mean that I need to go and look for something else? And to all those Christians, would, Paul would, to all those questions, Paul would say, a Christian is not somebody who has all their problems solved right now. It is someone who has sure and certain hope. Do you see? Because Jesus rose from the dead. A sure and certain hope that one day God will act decisively to end suffering and pain when Jesus returns. But that day is yet to come. So hold on, keep trusting, keep loving until that day. Stick with the faith that you already have, he says. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you need to move on to something else. So stick with the faith you already had. Then he goes on, stick with the gospel you've already heard. You Colossian Christians, stick with the gospel you've already heard. So from the second half of verse 5 to verse 8. And this in, in some ways is saying the same thing in a different way. But look at what he says in verse 5. This is what you've already heard about in uh, the word, uh, the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And that word gospel, as you may know, means good news. It is the heart of the Christian message that Jesus died and he lived and he rose again and will return. It's the source of our hope and our faith and our love. And Paul says, look, this is the same gospel that is bearing fruit all over the world in the same way it's bearing fruit in you. In other words, what's, what's the implication of that? He's saying, you Christians, you don't need to be worried that you've been duped by this gospel message. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a small group of Christians in a massive population where most people are completely indifferent to Christian things, they don't know Jesus, and frankly, they don't really care, and that might sound slightly familiar in our world today, well, that is what it was like for them. And, and you know, the world around you doesn't quite understand why you don't just fall in line and just do what the rest of the culture is doing. Why do you have to be weird and different and Christian? I mean, that's, what's going on with that? And if that's the situation that you're in, it might be easy to feel that maybe you're just being a bit stupid. You know, you bought into this weird sort of niche Christian faith thing. And, you know, maybe I'd, you just need to sort of keep it quiet for fear of ridicule. Because, you know, oh, you know, Christianity's on the decline. No one, re no one believes that anymore. But Paul is saying, no, you need to, you need to realise this is a worldwide movement that you are part of. And this same good news that you have believed in is taking root and spreading all over the world. And actually, that is still true today, isn't it? Still true today in exactly the same way. You know, forget the kind of headlines about Christianity right here in this country. What is the average Christian in 2023 speaking globally? It's not a white European, is it? Um, it's actually the, uh, the average Christian is a young non-white woman living in the global south worshipping with hundreds or even thousands every Sunday in a vibrant, joyful growing church that is the average Christian globally speaking and they have believed the same gospel of Jesus as we have 
And that gospel is bearing fruit and growing, do you see? And yet the pressure is really on in our culture to move to another gospel. A gospel where the the spirit of the age, the spirit of the culture, sets the agenda instead of God. Well, what would Paul say? This apostle, he says, who was sent with all of God's authority, he would say, stick with the gospel you first heard. The one that, you know, it's not not some gospel that you've believed over here in a corner. The gospel that has been believed by millions, billions of people over the last 2,000 years, all over the world. The gospel that first brought you life. You don't need something new or different from that, says Paul. Stick with what you've already heard. And then thirdly, finally, stick with the Christian life you're already living. Verses 9 to 14. So if we already have what we need, we might think, well, what room is there for progress then? What room is there for change? What room is there for growth as a Christian? If you're saying, you know, I've already trusted in Jesus, is that it? Is there no room for for growing and changing? Well, that is exactly what Paul goes on to talk about. And he prays for growth. May God fill you with the knowledge of his will. May he give you all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, do you see, it's not true that we know everything about God that we can know. You can always know God better and more deeply. But the point is, the key to that growth isn't in some hidden technique or guru or book or music or whatever it is that you somehow missing out on that you've yet to discover and if you just found that one thing then you would know God better the key is Jesus Christ the key is simply praying therefore praying that in the light of all that God has already done for us and already given us that God would help us know him better And also, verse 10, that he would then help us to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. And we say, yes, that's that's exactly what I've been longing for. But living as a Christian can be so difficult, we say, because my heart can seem so slow and hard and resistant to doing what I know is right. And I struggle so much when life is tough. And I, I, you know, surely there must be something missing. Surely I haven't quite got it yet. I really need God's power. And Paul says, yeah, that's exactly what you need. You need God's power. Verse 11, you need all of his power, all of his glorious strength and might, so that, what? Can you see verse 11? What do you need all of God's glorious might and power for? So that you may have great endurance and patience, he says. Is that all, Paul? Really? You just want us to keep going? Yes, exactly, says Paul. It's going to take all of God's spiritual resources that he has to offer to make that happen. And yet that is exactly what he promises to do. So what does a victorious and successful Christian life look like? Is it one where there's no battles left to fight? Is it one where every disease is healed, every broken relationship restored? Well, not according to Paul. The victorious and successful Christian life is one where the Christian says... I'm not just going to go with the flow of my friends and family who tell me I'm mad to be a Christian, even though that's hard. The victorious and Christian, uh, successful Christian life is one where the Christian says, even though being a Christian has meant I've had to make hard and painful decisions and costly decisions in my life, I'm going to keep trusting Jesus and I'm going to keep going. 
the victorious and successful Christian life is one where the Christian takes a bit of a risk and invites a, a colleague or a fellow student to a, a Christian event in a lunch break. You know, it's been so tempting along the way to give up, to cease praying, to merge with the crowd at school or in the office. But the Christian prayed for patient endurance and God gave it to them. There's nothing especially spectacular here. But you see, the worst thing any of these people could have done in these situations was to think that somehow the way they'd begun in their Christian life was not the way to carry on. That they needed something more, they needed something different from what they had begun with by trusting in Jesus. Instead, Paul says, verse 12, be marked by thankfulness. Can you see that? Verse 12, give joyful thanks to the Father for what you already have, which is what he says, isn't it? He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has qualified you, he's made you acceptable to be part of that kingdom. He's rescued you out of the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He's, he's forgiven you. He's given you a new start. Be thankful for what you have in Christ if you're a Christian. Don't be fooled into thinking that only the deserving, only the good and upright qualify for that. That is a gift for anyone to receive and to believe and then to go on in their Christian life by believing and holding on to every day. So for us today, it could be our gift to receive today, even just for the first time. And if it is ours already, don't be fooled into thinking that you need to move on to something else. If you're trusting in Jesus, you lack nothing that you need to grow and to persevere. Continue to grow by sticking with Jesus with the faith you already have, the gospel you've already heard, the Christian life you're already living. Let's pray now. Father God, we do praise you for the faith that you've given us in the light of the hope that is ours because Jesus has died and risen from the dead. For the gospel, the good news that we've heard and believed if we're trusting in Jesus. The same gospel that's taken root all over the world. And we thank you for the life that you've given us if we're trusting in you. If we're not yet, if we've not yet done that, Father, please help us to do that, even for the first time. To receive what you're offering in Jesus. And then might we go on from here sticking with him. We pray in Jesus' name.